0: Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi everyone, welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. A bit of news. Unchained is now on YouTube. You can find the most recent episodes there every week on the Unchained Podcast channel. And we'll soon be getting the full archive up. Also, going forward, the unconfirmed episodes will also be up there. And if you're not yet subscribed to my weekly newsletter, go now to UnchainedPodcast.com to sign up.
1: Are you ready for global cryptocurrency money laundering regulations? CypherTrace secures the crypto economy with powerful AML tools for exchanges, crypto businesses, and regulators.
0: Today's guest is Marco Santori, President and Chief Legal Officer of Blockchain. Welcome, Marco. Welcome, Marco.
1: Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me again.
0: I'm sure everyone knows why you're here to talk about the SEC guidance on tokens that came out this week and its first no action letter. Let's talk about the guidance first. Marco, the crypto industry has been looking for clarity from the Securities and Exchange Commission. What is now clear that wasn't before?
1: Well, I think that um, the SEC filled in filled in some some gaps um, and reconfirmed some of our thinking that we that we've heard in the past in terms of brand new stuff, practically speaking very little um, but it doesn't mean we didn't learn anything. Um, in fact, I think that we did learn quite a bit um, in terms of the the no action letter itself, probably not um, all that useful for most crypto entrepreneurs. Uh, in terms of the guidance, um, there was, I can kind of break it down for you, there was there was a little bit of a recapitulation of all of the things the SEC has already said about the Howey test and what um, Bill Hinman had said in a recent speech. He's the, uh, the director of the Division of Corporation Finance. He had sort of taken folks through the Howey test in this informal speech and talked about how uh, there were some things that would, that would make a token more likely to be a security and less likely to be a security. And so, SEC finally put uh, much of that in writing, adding some, removing some, uh, some of the bits. Um, but they did they did a little bit more than that. Um, they also gave us a fact pattern at the very end and said, "Look, here's here's one fact pattern that that we know at least for sure within this sort of this circumscribed uh, set of facts. This thing would not would." would not be a security in our minds. Um, and I'm speaking colloquially, really, um, the, we can talk about w- what, what guidance really means, but I did one other thing that, that I don't want to skip. Um, the SEC did give us something. Um, they put more meat on the bones at this point than, than they, than they have on other points. They said, look, we've said in the past, namely director Hinman's, uh, speech that a token can move from a security to a non-security, but, they never give any guidance on how that might work. What are the circumstances under which a token can move um, from a from a security to a non security? They reconfirmed that here, um, and they gave a few different uh, a few different scenarios under which um, I should say a few different facts that would militate in favor of security status and against security status. So, so there was a little bit of meat on the bones there.
0: Yeah, as I was reading the whole thing, I felt like okay they're sort of being consistent with previous statements given in speeches or in things like that, that weren't really official. And they were writing it all in a way where it was really in the language that would be sort of recognizable to somebody in the crypto industry where, you know, reading between the lines, you're like, okay, here, they're referring to developers here, they're referring to miners here, they're, you know, it was sort of like, just, um, if you are looking at it through that lens. Like here now we have kind of a pretty full document that uh, tries to account for all the different uh, ways in which these crypto networks uh, come into existence and the ways in which their tokens can be sold or distributed. And they were trying to uh, just, I guess, yeah, fill in how all of that applies uh, when it comes to the we test. Um, And there was one other thing I was going to mention here, which is that they didn't really, you know, it was like before when, let's say, the chairman, Jay Clayton, would say things like, oh, well, to me, it looks like every sale ICO has been a securities offering. You know, that's just a comment he's making and no one ever really knew how official of a stance that was. but. Reading between the lines here where they were talking about how the networks really should be functional, uh, that kind of thing, it did seem like, oh, okay, they really do mean that any kind of like ICO in the format that, you know, many of them have occurred in is that really is a security offering. And just clarifying that and like putting it in, you know, kind of a more official document than just like a speech yeah, I mean,
1: <laughs> it's funny when I've when I when I've spoken with with regulators and uh, all around the world, not 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 just the SEC. When when, when we as, an, as industry members tug on their sleeves for guidance, you know they, they, they say yes, we, we we may give guidance, but keep in mind, you might not like what you get. <laughs> and that's 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 just just sort of the, the the reality of regulation is that when you finally get a regulator to take a position, you might not always like that position. So that victory uh, may be pyrrhic, and in fact, it may work uh, it may work against you. And so we already had plenty of telegraphing, plenty of signals from uh, the SEC that they believed that by and large sales of pre-functional tokens were securities. We said the exact same thing in the Saft project uh, white paper and, and here now we have something in writing from them uh, saying, saying just that. Now you know, if the footnote one uh, there, footnote one for, for those of you who are reading along, it says the framework represents the views of the strategic hub for innovation and financial technology or the Fin hub and it's, uh, it's that hubs um, opinion. So it's this is this is not law. It's not um, a rule. It's not regulatory action. It's 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 not bicameralism plus presentment or following the Administrative Procedures Act. It's it's, it's none of that. It doesn't carry the force of law. But you know, it's pretty persuasive. Um, and and we actually saw that happen just um, just last week. There was a federal court that cited. Um, one of the SEC's uh, consent orders, which is probably less persuasive than this uh, from a legal perspective, and relied upon it in finding that um, a token could be uh, a security.
0: Yeah, well, actually, so this goes to a question I had, which is, so how much weight does guidance really have?
1: So technically speaking, it is not precedent. This does not set law. If you, if you go into court uh, and you wanted to prove if you are a private plaintiff, let's say, and you lost money in an ICO and you wanted to sue the ICO issuer, uh, ICO seller, let's let's not be pejorative. Um, if you wanted to sue the ICO seller, and uh, you were at the and the ICO seller tried to dismiss the case, you couldn't cite this and be on your way. This would this would not be sufficient, or at least it it shouldn't be. As they teach you in law school, you would want to cite actual cases that have precedential value. This doesn't have precedential value. But it's clear reasoning, and in the absence of precedent, and there's very little precedent um, in the crypto space, you you will see courts use this as a shortcut. Now, there's a obviously this raises concerns if courts do this, and 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 unfortunately they they they, they do. It raises separation of powers concerns. This is an Article One decision uh, that would be. Uh, relied upon by an Article Three court, right? Articles of, of course, the Constitution. Constitution has this separation of powers principle sort of built into it, and says, "Look, the SEC doesn't get to decide what is and is not a security.
0: Mm. The courts
1: do. Not Article One, Article
0: III. Okay, so eventually we may see even kind of more, uh, I guess, definite. <laughs> I shouldn't use the word guidance, but um, I just more. Definite clarity, I guess, from court decisions later that could eventually even conflict with this. Um, I also wanted to ask about the airdrops issue because the the guidance said, "quote The lack of monetary consideration of digital assets such as those distributed via a so-called airdrop does not mean that the investment of money prong is not satisfied." And here they're referring to the Howey test, which is that's one of the prongs. Which if you satisfy all the prongs, then you are a security. And I'll continue the quote. Therefore, an airdrop may constitute a sale or distribution of securities. What was your take on that?
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So there, 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 there are some points here where, um, you know, if you ask the if you ask the crypto bar, uh, the crypto lawyers out there, you know, what what did what did the SEC overstate? What did they skip over? What did they state clearly? This is this is one of those that that. I think is right, and 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 we say the same thing in our airdrops framework, where we say, look, it, airdrops uh, can could potentially under the right circumstances be an offering, but there has to be a security that's being offered separately. And there was a case in uh, Southern District, the Southern District of California recently that, that reaffirmed this. It says, look, there you have to satisfy the Howey test independently of there being an offering of securities. In other words, in order for you to make an offering, there has to be a security underneath it. Um, mm-hmm. You can't, uh, you can't um, in fact, I think we may have talked about this before, but you can't use um, the airdrop as an investment uh, to satisfy the prong of an investment of money, but you can use it to satisfy the prong of whether the issuer got value from it. Those are two different tests, and one is a much higher standard than the other.
0: All right. So we're going to discuss the SEC's first no action letter letter in a moment. But first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsor. Ready or not, the
1: Financial Action Task Force anti-money laundering recommendations soon go into effect globally. If you handle cryptocurrencies, no matter where you do business, these new AML laws will apply to you. CypherTrace helps exchanges, ICOs, funds, brokerages and regulators understand and manage crypto asset and compliance risks. Learn how to reduce your exposure and prepare now for tough new regulations.
0: CypherTrace is securing the crypto economy. Learn more at cyphertrace.com slash unconfirmed. Back to my conversation with Marco Santori of Blockchain. So tell us about this first no action letter. What was the company that was involved? What were they trying to do? And what was the SEC's reasoning for uh, issuing its first no action letter here?
1: Well, we don't have a whole lot—at um, least a, a officially reported data on the process. But what we do know is what came out of it, um, which was there was a there was a, a company that wants to sell seats or time or whatever it is on a on a private on on private jets that they own or operate or offer uh, to the public, and they wanted to sell these uh, seats in tokenized form. So you buy a ticket. Or sorry, you buy a token and you get a ticket. Um it's it's not clear exactly what what these folks first went to the uh went to the SEC with, what what fact pattern they went to the SEC with initially and what fact pattern came out of it. You know, it's 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 certainly a possibility that that the company went to the SEC and said, we want to do an ICO. And the SEC said, we're not gonna give you a no action letter for that. That's that's crazy. And they say, okay, well what if instead of Um, doing, um, what is it? In, instead of doing a pre-functional token sale, we'll wait until the token is, is functional, meaning we'll wait until people can actually redeem it for seats. And the SEC might have said, okay, well, that's a good first step, but we're still not going to give you a no action letter on the basis of that. And they go back and they revise their plan and they might say, okay, well, we promise we're not going to use any proceeds from the token to develop the platform. And so on and so forth until finally you get to what this no action letter was and that may or may not have matched their original business plan here um, looking at what the what the no action letter came out to if you look at the requirements um, to uh, fall into this safe harbor that you're granted by a no action letter it doesn't strike me as a viable business model uh, you know men plan and God laughs but as I look at this today, this is this is not this is not a company that uh, a business model that I would want to bring to market, but it is the business model that the SEC would be willing to grant no action relief for.
0: Yeah, I think the reasoning behind the company's decision to use a token was that apparently, um, you know, this idea of having a turnkey jet is that you can take it last minute, but financial transactions of large amounts take longer than that and so if you kind of like purchase the tokens in advance and they're things that you know can be transferred immediately then that enables people to then take the jet somewhat last minute however you know reading this over i just thought okay these tokens do not look at all like anything that any of the serious attempts at crypto networks have been um trying and so just do you think that this no action letter is going to be useful to the industry in any way?
1: This no action letter strikes me as a recapitulation of no action relief that's been granted in similar circumstances. But instead of being written into a blockchain, the record of, the token or the value or whatever the thing, the purported security, was just written into an Excel database or, or a SQL database. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, what the SEC said was, yeah, you can sell a token for this, but it has to be fully functional at the time of sale, A. B, it can't be transferable. It can't be transferable outside the platform, B. So, that's, so C is you uh, you as an issuer have to promise not to use the token proceeds, the sale of the token, I should say, proceeds to actually develop the platform. It can just be sort of uh, – cap, cap it, it can be an operational expenditure but not a capital expenditure, presumably. Um, D, you cannot offer to rebuy the token for a profit. E, you can't market the token uh, to emphasize anything but its functionality. And, of course, F, that functionality has to be to redeem the issuer's services, the services of – the jet company. And that's not, that's not really all that crazy except for, except for B, the transferability. I I can't for the life of me, imagine why you'd want to use a token instead of just prepaying for these services, um, or just using a coupon or some kind of discount Mm -hmm. program, um, in advance. I I just can't understand for the life of me why you'd want to use a blockchain to do that. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I noticed also, I mean, both uh, the guidance and the no action letter had this idea of like, no transferability as being, you know, part of what would keep it from being a securities offering or a security. And so that's why I'm just like, okay, 99% of these tokens expect to be traded. So I really don't know how useful people are going to find it. But in general, like, you know, when you take all this stuff together, what effect do you think the guidance and the new action letter will have on, uh, I guess, the different crypto projects on their attempts to either distribute their token or raise funds with, you know, some kind of crowd sale, whether it's through what they might call an ICO or a token generation event or an airdrop or what have you? How do you think... This will affect that going forward. I mean you wrote the famous SAFT white paper. Like, is this do you think this will push the industry more toward that? Or or how how will how will these like evolve?
1: Well, a couple of points. So first, I think a lot of people will probably confuse what this no action letter means. The SEC did not say you have to do it this way or it's a security. That's not what they said. And that's not what no action letters are. What the SEC did say is that if you do it this way, we're not going to recommend to the commission that there be any enforcement action and practically speaking that means you have a safe harbor but just because you sail out of the safe harbor doesn't mean you get caught in a storm or the or the boat sinks um, especially when there's so little jurisprudence on the issue, so I I wouldn't take this as cataclysmic. I wouldn't take this as an attack on the industry at all. I would take this as sort of a first step toward developing a more robust set of rules and regulations around this. That look, frankly, if it's if if this industry is going to happen in the United States, it's going to require that this sort of restriction on transferability be lifted. Otherwise, we're not really there's there's no reason to use a blockchain. <laughs> In terms of uh, you know what is the effect on the industry, well, the SEC, in addition to giving these fact patterns, in addition to giving um, uh, a no-action letter, also um, gave some 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 meaty guidance on when a token first offered as a security has completed the transformation to non-security status, and that's sort of a that is sort of a catch-all term for things where there was a security transaction first, a securities laws transaction, a transaction governed by the securities laws to get these things out on the market. And then um, at some point they get listed on an exchange because of these, you know, seven or eight factors that have been satisfied and and that's okay. That thing can be listed on a mere cryptocurrency exchange and not a securities exchange. It's not a tokenized security. The securities laws don't apply to it anymore. There's a few ways that might happen, but in the United States, at least the 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 way that's used overwhelmingly um, by lawyers is the SAFT framework. Uh, and in the SAFT framework, you don't actually sell uh, a tokenized security; you sell a document, you sell a piece of paper, just like a promissory note or uh, a safe, uh, a simple agreement for future equity. Except this is a simple agreement for future tokens. That thing you treat it as a security, and then. Once the tokens are ready, you exchange that thing, um, that piece of paper, for the tokens, which are not securities. Um, and since we published the paper um, about a year and a half ago, um, there, there haven't been any uh, pre-functional token sales in the United States, and um, as, as far as I know of, um, at least no major ones. And all of every token sale in the United States has uh, used um the SAFT framework. Now they may not have used SAFTs, but they certainly use the SAFT framework that requires that you first sell a security, um, and then what is produced at the end of the day is a non-security. What the SEC did in their in their guidance was um, put some meat on the bones of how that transition occurs, which was which was great to see because you know the industry was uh, was clearly clamoring for it. I think there were a lot of people asking the question, "Look." I sold a security, I used a SAFT, I used a whatever I used, but we used the securities laws. We did what you wanted us to do. We You, you, you succeeded in, in serving your channeling function and you ensured that the, the investors had a securities fraud cause of action against us. You ensured a whole lot of investor protections. Now, we, this thing has to work and this thing, this token, it, it can't work if it's a security. It's a virtual currency. It's Um, it's, it's, it's meant to be redeemed for goods and services. It's not, it's not, it's not equity. It's not a bond. So how do we get there? The SEC gave us a pretty, pretty robust explanation of the factors to consider in determining whether we got there or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see going forward, you know, they obviously drew that line at whether the network is functioning or not, but it remains to be seen just sort of like, this term decentralization is, is fuzzy. And so how, how decentralized, like, you know, is it the moment that the network goes live that, then it, you know, wouldn't no longer be considered a security or who knows? Anyway, we will see what happens going forward. Well, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, Be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast player. And also, frankly, you should check out the Unchained episode I did with SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce, which came out earlier this week, because it is highly relevant to everything that we just discussed here. If you are not yet signed up for my email newsletter, go to unchainedpodcast.com right now to get my thoughts on the top crypto stories of the week. And be sure to check out our new channel on YouTube. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Waylon Gallipoli, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.